0: He's from the hard-hitting world of ice hockey. She's from the red carpets of Tinseltown. Together, they are two of the leading executive producers in Hollywood. Responsible for mega-hits like Hoosiers, Sudden Death, and the Oscar-winning Ray. A true sports and entertainment power couple. Meet Karen and Howard Baldwin. This is Pucks and Paparazzi with your host, Stephen Maggie. Wait, 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 fellas, do we have that old Hartford Whalers music from the NHL? Let's try that. That's the one perfect. Howard Baldwin has owned teams in the National Hockey League and World Hockey Association. Karen Baldwin has been an actor and TV reporter. This is a real dynamic duo. Now, let's drop the puck and turn the lights. Here's the host of Pucks and Paparazzi, Stephen Maggi. You ever heard of a power couple? Boy, do we have one for you today.
1: You remember Howard Baldwin? He is an entrepreneur, film producer. He also owned hockey teams, been involved in a lot of things. He's back with us today along with his wife, Karen, who started in the field of marketing, got in with the NHL, hosted her own television sports show on the New England Sports Channel ahead of the game, which was the first of its kind because it featured two female hosts in Hartford. She met her husband and they moved into the movie world and just have done some incredible things. What, it, what a change from hockey to Hollywood. What brought all that about? Was um, was that something that you guys felt like it was a, a different career? I know you had an opportunity and took it from there.
2: Well, when we first met uh, in Hartford in 85, 86, and we met in 85 right at the all- NHL All-Star Game, Karen and I did. And it just so happened to be at a particular point in time where I personally had just delved into the movie production business, having started a a couple of movies um, from The Hip, written by David Kelly, which is a great story, and Billy Galvin, which was really the first movie Karen and I went on the set together, and uh, Karen started working for the NHL All-Star. Instead of sneaking down to the locker room to date the players, she snuck into the owner's office and dated
1: me (laughs) that's a smart move huh
2: karen (laughs) go right to the top
3: yeah the gentleman who i reported directly to said to me he was always so impressed because for a young girl i never once tried to go down into the locker room to see the players and then he said then i realized you were running up front to the front office to see howard (laughs) 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 but it's, it's again it's a pleasure to be on the show with you thank you so much for having me and i guess Part of the theme of this show is behind every great man, there's a woman rolling her eyes. That would be me.
1: (laughs) Well, there must have been an appeal right off the bat. You know, as somebody who did broadcast and you knew the sports world, there's a lot of intrigue, not just on the ice, but really in in the front office because it all starts there.
3: Yeah, and this was a big event for Hartford. Um, They had hosted an all-star game when they were in the WHA. This was the first all-star game that, uh, the Whalers had hosted as the NHL Whalers, so it was a big deal, and it was it was a lot of fun, and it was a way of bringing the people in the community together, but also bringing in a lot of really big hockey names for people to be able to meet and greet and and see during the All Star event.
1: And Howard, what was your thought? You meet this uh, young
2: broadcaster and so forth, where the sparks immediately? It's really kind of fun because. We met initially at an event for the Whalers about three years earlier where um, Karen was the date of her father because Karen's mother was, was out of town and I was obviously single and so my daughter I bought to the event. It was the dinner, the Whalers Waltz dinner. That was the first time we met and then we didn't meet again till, till really the, the all star when when uh, Bill Barnes, the head of our marketing, came in and introduced me to the young lady that was representing the National Hockey League for All-Star festivities to be held in Hartford. And, and yeah, the first time I met her, I said, whoops, my life is going to change.
1: <laughs> well, you know, was part of that, because the All-Star game was such an important thing for Hartford at the time, and... There's just a lot of excitement that comes with an all-star game. Was that something where both of you were kind of on the edge of your seat, so that kind of happy stress kind of melded over into the relationship side?
3: I think that's a good point. I mean, we virtually we met at work. Since meeting at work, we've worked together um, in various different companies that we've owned and operated um, for now over, well, almost 35 years.
1: Through that 35 years, you've seen them all, and we're going to today talk about celebrities. And I think it's really kind of fun because you guys have seen celebrities not only on the ice, some very famous people, but also in Hollywood, some of the biggest names. And, of course, you've been producing films for a while, and the one people may know you for the the most is the 2004 Oscar-winning film Ray starring Jamie Foxx. So lead us into life when meeting Jamie Foxx, a very talented guy.
2: When we met Jamie, he wasn't a household name. Let's face it, he had a good TV show and we knew he had very good comedic instincts. And we knew he therefore could mimic well. And we just felt, let's let's have a meeting with Jamie. And really, it was just Karen and I that first met him. We met him at Creative Artists. I remember when he came into the meeting and it was one of those meetings where there are a lot of people in the room And he had a bit of a posse with him. And we said, gosh, I don't know how this is going to translate to Ray and playing Ray Charles. And then the minute he opened his mouth, he just took over the room. He was unbelievable.
3: Jamie was most well known at the time for um, being a comedian on In Living Color. And in fairness to Howard, Howard said, you know, he has the right shape of the face and he's he's. Such a gifted comedian. I bet he would be a great mimic. I bet you know he'd be a good candidate. And he wasn't really considered at that point, you know, a leading male actor. Um, but we took the meeting as Howard said. And when he came into the meeting room, he's very charismatic and he's very quick on his feet and he's very funny. And the first thing he said is, "Well, of course you all know that I'm a concert pianist." So of course everybody laughs, thinking it's a punchline to something. And he said, "No, I seriously." <laughs> I'm a concert pianist. <laughs> so we went from not really being sure to being like, oh my God, not only can he play Ray, but he can actually do the playing of the music and believably play the piano. So, I mean, it was, it was really one of those special moments where you know this was meant to be.
1: Well, and Ray Charles is such a... Uh, everybody knows who he is, so it's really kind of, you got to have some special skills. And I understand yeah. he, you actually did something to uh, authenticate the blindness of Ray Charles. So uh, Jamie really did some things where he knew what that was like.
3: When Jamie first met Ray and Ray's family, some of Ray's children um, were in the meeting as well. And the children, Jamie came to the meeting like Ray in his Ray persona. And the children were so confused; they were calling Jamie Dad, and they were calling Ray Jamie. (laughs)
2: It it was a very, as Karen said, it was it was on a Sunday, and it was for sort of a meet and greet for everybody to have the excitement of meeting Ray Charles. And actually, the meeting of Ray Charles was fun because we went over there on a Sunday when we first met him, and our partner was Phil Anshu and this movie never would have been made without Phil because he wrote out a check for the movie and, and it was an extraordinary thing he did. And he said that you know he wanted to meet Ray. Uh, so it was a Sunday morning and we went down to the studio and there's nothing fancy about it, but you had to go up a fire escape to go in the door. And you hear somebody come down the hall and the door opens and it's completely dark in the hallway. And it's, it's Ray meeting us. And, I'm thinking to Phil, how the heck are we going to get down this hallway? And how is he going to get there? We realized, wait a minute, he doesn't see anything anyway. So we're <laughs> going to just follow him, and we'll get there. <laughs> and that's exact. And that's exactly what happened. It was. It was. Some, I'll never forget that first meeting.
3: It was really a special time because Ray was still well, and Ray was able to what the director did. The director Taylor Hackford. Is when the final cut was done. He sat with Ray and they listened to it, and he talked Ray through the movie. Okay, this is what you're seeing on the screen. This is what. You're, so, for all intents and purposes, Ray was able to see the movie uh, before he passed away, which meant a lot to everybody.
1: Karen, I heard that also. Jamie wore uh, prosthetics over his eyes, and yes, so the first time correct. he actually saw. The movie was the first time he actually
3: saw it. Yes, yeah, and, he, and he's remarkable in that regard. I mean, he's become um, a quality, top-level actor, and he really wanted to do that, to have the truth in the performance of somebody that, you know, was sight-impaired.
1: Jamie's not the only person... You've met by any means. You guys have been around, uh, you name it. I mean, anybody that goes to the Academy Awards, of course, is going to know a lot of people. But I'd like to just have you talk about a few of them. Uh, Tom Cruise, a uh, pretty special guy, I would imagine.
2: He's a great guy. And we met him when we were, going, when we were doing the movie Sahara. Mm-hmm. And he was then with Penelope Cruz. And Penelope... agency reached out and said that she would love to play the role in the movie of Dr. Eva Rojas, which was a Spanish-speaking doctor. And we said, great, let's take a meeting. We took a meeting with Penelope, who is just a lovely girl. We had a great 45-minute meeting, one-hour meeting at the Peninsula Hotel, and and said, look, we'd love to have you do the movie, blah, blah, blah. She
3: said, well actually, the person I am with right now read the script and he really likes it too. So we were like, oh, well, that's nice. And he said, no, I mean, he really likes it. So we are like, okay. So we actually went through a period of time where um, we talked to Tom about playing the role that eventually Matthew McConaughey played. Um, and, and basically a lot of it comes down to timing and other commitments. And it wound up not working out with Tom Cruise, but we did have Penelope. And ultimately, we had Penelope and Matthew McConaughey, and both subsequent to Sahara um, won Academy Awards within the next couple of years. So that was pretty fun.
1: When you meet people like Tom Cruise and so forth, even if you don't work with them like you did there, there, is that somebody that you can, now you've set up a relationship and you can go back as new opportunities show up?
2: Well, sure, in most cases. Now, it's not, you know, the one thing you will never get from us is, the usual Hollywood BS. So to say that we were buddy, buddy with Tom isn't appropriate, but do we know him? If you walked in a room, would, he, would we be able to say, hi, how are you, that kind of thing? Of course, um, and some we know closer than others, but there's a protocol you always try to follow here. And, and the protocol being, if you have a script and, and that you want a certain actor, you follow the protocol. You may make the actor aware of it. This is what Karen does, and she does beautifully. But you, you make sure you lead with the agent and the manager so nobody gets their nose out of whack. And then the fact that we have a relationship with that particular person we're, we're trying to get in our movie is, of course, helpful. But the bottom line, it's going to come to what's, what the written word is and what the character is and how it's written and portrayed.
3: If they also like you as a producer or as a person, but that's not reason enough for them to want to do a movie, nor should it be.
1: You've done some work in front of the screen, you know, in front of uh, on stage and so forth. So you understand this business. Does that kind of give you a little bit of an edge to talking to some of these people and in, in that you know, at least you understand the concerns and the things that are important and so forth?
3: Yes. I think initially when we first came out here, I did a lot of acting. I took a lot of acting courses, classes, had an agent and, and a manager. So I know sort of how that whole scenario works. And I know it's a very tough business. So I also know some of the sensibilities and sensitivities of an actor and what it's like to have to go in cold to a meeting and and to read and to audition for something. So I think all of that experience behind my belt probably helps me be more understanding and sympathetic and therefore be able to be a more effective producer because I, I know some of the pitfalls and I know some of the things that are important to people. And if you make a little extra effort on those things, it goes a long way.
1: You know, they're not just actors and actresses because I read where one of the persons you were most impressed with was Ray Bradbury, the famous science fiction yeah. author. Talk a little about Bradbury, if you would. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I, I loved Ray Bradbury. He was a genius, um, an incredible mind. Um, so even, I mean, I knew him when he was in his 80s and 90s. And this was a young man at heart. He was a very... Modern thinker every day he would wake up and he'd write you know up until the day that he passed away and he was in his 90s Um, and he always had a unique take on things and Wanted to stay engaged and stay current and stay relevant Um, And one of the funny things we we developed a project called sound of thunder It was based on his famous short story a sound of thunder and um, When we were negotiating the deal In the meeting he said that he would like the rights for Mars (laughs) and everyone laughed and he said, I'm dead serious. He's like, Do you think anybody would have thought the internet was what it was? You know, however many years ago there was no internet. He said, I'm telling you, we'll be on Mars before you know it.
2: He was a special guy and I'd just chime in. He he loved Karen and and uh he would always reach out to Karen and he'd say, Come on over. And just before we're ready to head over to his house, he'd call and say, Now stop at Big Mac's and get what do they have? The double walk double whatever they are. And he said, Put it in a little bag because they wouldn't let him eat that. You know, we had to sneak it into him in his living room at Big Mac. <laughs> and so he was a treasured human being. Before
1: we go, let's talk about some of the people you met on the ice. Because, I mean, you're talking about hockey royalty here. Gordie Howe, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux. Was there anybody that particularly stood out to you as somebody that you you knew was great on the ice, but they were just fantastic people?
2: Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, Steve, it's a great question. I don't think there's ever been a hockey player that I personally have met that I haven't liked they're just a great group of guys. Now I've been blessed because we went down two years ago when they had the top 100 players here in LA and Karen and I sat there and watched each decade come out because I touched all five decades. (laughs) But obviously when, when you have the privilege of knowing and being close with a Gordie Howe, I mean, that's just amazing. And Mario Lemieux and, and not as close, but know him well, Wayne Gretzky. And then you get some that, that frankly, aren't as well-known. Um, Luke Robitaille, well, Luke's pretty well-known, but he's, yeah. he's just an extraordinary guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so...
3: For, for me, it was meeting, the first time that I met Phil Esposito, I got a big wow. kick out of that, because he's, he is a larger-than-life personality. Um, he's you know, he's very charismatic guy, very affable guy, um, I also got a huge kick out of meeting Yager, Yarmir Yager, for the first time. Right. We, and he did not speak English, but you didn't have to. He didn't have to understand what you were saying. You didn't have to understand him. He just had a joy about being able to be on the team and playing.
2: We loved Yagi, You're right. He, he, Yagi to this day, and we haven't seen him in a while, but he's like a man child. He really was. And when we sometimes, when the players would come out this way they would, we'd take them out to dinner, right? So when we lived in the Hollywood Hills, we lived literally right next door to Madonna. In fact, the house we lived in sold to Leonardo DiCaprio. When, <laughs> when we lived next to Madonna, we had we had dinner with Yagi at the Palm, and then we took him up to the house, and he had then, the, it was those bigger video cans, and the, gu- the guard that, that watched the driveway, which is right next to ours. He's a great guy and a hockey fan. She was away. So he said, come on, I'll give you a tour of the house. So I think that might have been one of the highlights of Yogi's. He went in with this video camera, <laughs> pictures of the whole house. He had a blast.
1: Well, i got to ask you one more question. Karen, specifically aimed at you, your young days, you're a PR person, then you're doing television and so forth. Now, I know hockey players. I used to announce minor league hockey a long time ago. And did you run into any kind of crazy guys? Because uh, there were some people there that were, they all were nice, like you say, but they could be a little crazy. Do you have anybody that kind of intimidated you, like, I don't want this person going a little crazy with me here?
3: No, actually. I mean, I, there There was one example of an athlete that when I i actually was working for a basketball team before I graduated from College, um, and a friend of mine went to Georgetown, and I visited that friend at Georgetown and met Patrick Ewing. And when Patrick Ewing met me, he made sort of a sound of an animal that actually <laughs> frightened me. <laughs> that was the only time I was ever actually well,
2: afraid. The other, well, you got to remember, and, and in fact, this was with another person that doesn't show with y'all. And a good friend of ours, Upton Bell, we yeah. were doing an Upton Bell show. He was doing a show, and Karen was part of the show. And the football player, who was it, John Matusag, <laughs> a huge guy. And you can see right away he's going to put the hit on Karen, okay? <laughs> and I like to think I'm pretty strong or whatever, but I said, there's no way. So, but I had my cousin who worked for us. Taylor Baldwin, a wonderful man, who's seven feet and about 250 pounds. And I said, Taylor, go on down there and just sort of put your arm around John and say, hey, there's certain things that are off limits here. And that he did.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Matuzaki, you don't want to get on his bad side.
2: I've seen that. You don't want
1: that. I know there's a lot more people you've dealt with and we'll be talking with you about them over the months ahead thanks so much for being with us today look forward to our next meeting
2: thank you. thank
1: you on the next episode of pucks and paparazzi howard and karen share the excitement and challenges of the early days of the new england whalers and the wha with a special emphasis on marketing a new team and a new league that's next time on pucks and paparazzi thanks for listening i'm Stephen
0: Magie. You've been listening to Pucks and Paparazzi. Join us next time for a fun, unique look at the worlds of sports and entertainment. Thanks for listening.